and Spencerville Academy, and John Sackett. Doesn't fit in quite up here. I was like, man, kids are getting gray early. <laughs> President of Shady Grove, we praise the Lord for your gift as well, and all of you. Thank you for the wonderful music. We're glad to have you here with us. John's not actually a member with us yet, so I should be careful, I guess, how I talk to him, so we don't uh, discourage him. Soon, oh good. Did you hear that? He said soon. You heard it all right, your witnesses. We're glad to have all of them here with us today. Let's bow our heads and pray one more time. Jesus, we thank you so much for your grace. We thank you for the beautiful worship service that we've had thus far, the power of the children's story and the reminder of passing that flame, the power of the music, such glorious music, Lord. We thank you for inspiring Handel to write this beautiful piece. And Lord, we've heard it so many times, but may it be fresh to us each new time. The glory of Zion, the power, is in the coming of our Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ. And that power and that glory is, is, is available to each one of us. So Lord, bless us now as we, as we study the way in which that power is available to us. In your name we pray, amen. The Christmas season is a great time to teach our kids to be grateful for the gifts that they receive, amen? To be content with what they have and to not expect as much as their friends or maybe their neighbors down the street or even their siblings. In my home as a child, uh, because of our resources, some Christmases, my older sister got the big gift, and some Christmases, my little sister got the, the big gift, and some Christmases, I got the, the, the G.I. Joe hovercraft or the, the Ewok village. You know, it varied. We didn't always all get the big gift in a season because of our resources. It wasn't always, the gifts were not always equal, but we were taught to be grateful for whatever we received, to, to not covet what someone else had received. This training was, was put to the test. I remember one Christmas this, this training was put to the test when, when we were sitting around as a family and my, my grandparents were there, my dad's parents, and, and my grandma gave us each a card and she was past the, the days of giving us an a, uh, a actual physical gift, but she gave us a card and I did the typical thing that we do. I opened up the card and I pretended to read the outside of the card, you know, where you, where you fake like you're interested in that. Anyone know what I'm talking about? All right, just making sure. I appreciate your honesty by your laughter. And I look, but then I open the card to get to the good stuff, cash or a check, this time it was a check. And I looked down at the check and something was, was wrong with this check. My sisters opened their cards to the same thing and they got, started to get up and they said, Oh, Grandma, thank you so much. And they walked over to her and gave her hugs and kisses. And my mom's like, so what'd you get? And as moms do. And my uh, sister said, she gave us $100. I looked back down at my check and something was terribly wrong with my check. But being taught to appreciate what I get and not to compare it to someone else, I stood up and I walked over to my grandma. I said, thank you so much, grandma. I appreciate it. I put my arms around her. I hugged her, said I appreciate the gift. And I walked back with my terribly wrong check in hand. And I sat down and I looked at this check. And on this check, I had received a check for one penny. <laughs> True story. Now, 
I, at one point in my life, worked in the food industry and was a waiter. And if a person gives you a penny as a tip, it is worse than receiving nothing. In the food industry, when you give someone a penny, it means they are the worst server that you ever have had. Don't ask me how I know this. I'm just telling you that I know it. <laughs> so I received this penny. And so I don't know what my grandma was trying to say to me if I was the worst grandchild she'd ever had or what, but I got my one penny. And, uh, and uh, I did cash that check. <laughs> hey, I'm no fool. Penny saved is a penny earned, right? So we move on. But I, w I was appreciative and I said nothing. Why? Because I was taught to always be grateful no matter what, even if the gifts were not equal. That is a good thing to teach our kids at this time of year. It's a good thing for us to know as well because sometimes we as adults can look around at other people and we can say, man, I wish I had that job or man, I wish my kids were as well behaved as, as those kids or, or man, I, I, I just wish that, that I could live in that house or whatever it, it may be. It's very easy for us to, to covet someone else's things and it's good for us to remember as well to be appreciative at this time of year. But as Christians, I'm actually gonna tell you about a gift that you should expect. In fact, you should expect it just as much as the person next to you. If you look at someone next to you and say, man, that person just has this gift in full and you don't have it, then you should be discontent. You should in fact covet the fullness of this gift. You should covet the fullness of this gift at just as much as anybody else in history has ever received it. You should not be content without this gift. It should disturb you a little. It should disturb us a little. In fact, if you do not if you are not disturbed by not having the fullness of this gift, I will be disturbed on your behalf as your pastor. Why? Because I desire to be a pastor of a church full of Pentecostals. Man, dead silence. No amens? Yes, I said Pentecostals, and I'm not the first pastor to say that. In fact, there's a pastor very on in biblical history that actually said something similar. And I want you to open your Bibles with me to the book of Numbers. Please open your Bibles to the book of Numbers. If you don't have a Bible with you, maybe you have one on your phone or on your tablet, feel free to open that as well. Numbers chapter 11. And while you're turning there to Numbers chapter 11, let me set the story for you. God tells Moses to call for him 70 elders to assist him in the ministry that God has given him. So God says, hey, Moses, you need some help with what you're doing. You can't do it alone. You need others around you. So he, calls, he tells him to call these 70 elders to assist him in the ministry that God has given to him. Then in verse 17, God says this to Moses. Numbers chapter 11 and verse 17. Then I will come down and talk with you there. I will take the spirit that is upon you and will put the same upon them. And they shall bear the burden of the people with you that you may not bear it yourself alone. And God did this for these 70 men. He took these 70 men and he put his spirit upon uh, these 70 men, the same spirit that had been upon Moses so that Moses would not have to bear the burden alone. This is a great lesson for the church and this is just a little, little uh, statement for the elders. If you are an elder in this church and you've been an elder only by title without function, at any point I just wanna let you know that those days will cease because according to the scriptures, the elders are supposed to help bear the burdens of the leaders. And so you are leaders as elders within the church. So, so we will just wanna make that little comment and caveat on that. I hope you're not filling out your resignation papers now. 
Well, on these 70 men, there was a spirit that fell and, and fell upon these individuals. And a couple of these, these men were hanging out in the camp. It, is, it wasn't necessarily proper to be, to, be, to be prophesying in the way that they were in camp. Verse 26 says, But two men had remained in the camp. The name of one was Eldad, and the name of the other was Medad. And the spirit rested upon them. Now they were among those listed, but who had not gone out to the tabernacle. It was the proper place to go out to the tabernacle to prophesy. Yet they prophesied in the camp. This was reported to Moses. This was reported to Moses that they, that they were prophesying outside of what they felt were, were proper, a proper place to, to prophesy. And Joshua, who was with Moses, was a bit offended by this. Verse 28, so Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, one of his choice men, answered and said, Lord, Moses, my Lord, forbid them. Listen now to Pastor Moses' wise and balanced response. Are you zealous for my sake? Oh, that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them all. Oh, that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them all. Moses was saying, I wish that all my church was Pentecostal. Not in those exact words, but that is what he is saying. Pentecostal is a word that has come to define a group of people, people that, that Jesus loves and people whom I admire, their enthusiasm and passion, even if I in spite of our differences of understanding of what this means. But Pentecostal doesn't actually mean, originally does not mean what it has turned into. You know, it doesn't mean getting slain in the spirit and, and suddenly falling over. It doesn't mean that, as a, one video I saw when I was a kid and totally freaked me out uh, uh, of a Pentecostal preacher preaching and people in the, in the congregation began to bark like dogs. Recently, I heard of a pastor in Australia say that, say that when you're filled with a spirit, there should be drool coming out of your mouth when you speak and when you pray because you're so full of the spirit. The spirit's so full up in your mouth. You should be drooling as you pray. We've come to interpret Pentecostalism in a lot of different ways, but, but really, Pentecostal didn't mean any of these things. When I think of our church, I think of, I pray for a church full of Pentecostals. In other words, people who have had a, a true experience of being baptized by the Holy Spirit. A true baptism. Moses said, oh, that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. That was his wish, and that should be the wish of every pastor. That should be the wish of every Christian, for that matter. But more than a wish, it should be more than a wish. It should be our expectation. It should be something that we expect. We should expect this gift. It'd be foolish for me to expect all the gifts that some of you possess. I should never expect to be as affluent as some of you because I plan to be a pastor my entire life. Amen? And I get paid well enough, but I'm telling you, I'm not complaining about my payment. I'm just saying, I don't expect to be affluent, get rich by being a pastor. I should not expect to teach as well as some of you can teach. I can't, I can't sing as well as Sharon can sing. I cannot, I cannot necessarily be as creative as the Brockets with their decorations up here. I appreciate uh, Irene and Judy and Jay uh, doing the decorations around our church. I, I, I cannot expect to be as good looking as, as most of you all are. But I should expect, I should expect, not just wish for, but I should expect the fullness of the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
and so should each of you. You should have that expectation. Why? Because it's not just something that we, that is out there as a, as a mysterious idea, but it is actually a promise. The Holy Spirit is actually a promise within the scriptures. And the Bible tells us that all of God's promises are what? Yes and amen in Christ Jesus. All of God's promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. Will you turn with me to the book of Joel chapter two? Joel chapter two, verses 28 and 29. Moses says back in the book of Numbers, oh, I wish that all of God's people received the spirit, that the Lord, Lord put his spirit upon all of God's people. And in Joel chapter two, Joel says, hey, hey, this day is coming when this will happen. Joel chapter two, verses 28 and 29. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. The promise in Joel 2 is not a promise to a few Christians. The promise in Joel 2 is not a promise to just a group of 70 or a group of 12 or just a promise to a, a group of 120. It's not a promise only to those who have the title of elder. The promise in Joel 2 is that the Lord will pour, pour out his spirit on all his people. Now, I wanna, if you're breathing right now, will you just raise your hand for me? Don't hold your breath so you don't have to raise your hand. I wanted one for you to get a little Pentecostal, but two, I wanted you all to recognize that if you raised your hand, you were part of that all. You were part of that all. We were part of that all, poured out upon all people. In Acts chapter two, the disciples received this gift. They become Pentecostal. They have a Pentecostal experience. Acts chapter two, beginning in verse one. When the day of Pentecost had fully come and they were all with one accord in one place, Acts chapter two. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The Bible tells us that, that everybody in that room, when they began to pray, when they were there together, when they were meeting together, the, the Holy Spirit descended upon them and they were all filled. The, the Holy Spirit didn't say, okay, I'm taking you and I'm taking you and you look like you can handle it, so I'm taking you and no. All of them in that room, all of God's people, the Spirit descends upon them and they are filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Some people were wondering around as they began to hear these individuals from this room speak. They're wondering what is happening. Some, the Bible tells us, the devout people in the land, the Bible tells us the devout people heard their language being spoken and they said, what's come over these people? How are they able to speak our language? There was other people in the land that were not devout. There was other people in the land that were, that were not uh, committed in their hearts to listening to the will of God. And you know what they heard? This is very interesting to me. They heard that which sounded like babbling and drunken revelry. Drunken revelry. Isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting that now what much of the world associates with being filled with the Holy Spirit, babbling, different kind of misunderstandings, that what much of the world associates with, with being filled with the Holy Spirit is the very thing that was heard by those that were not open to truly hear and receive the will of God on the day of Pentecost. 
They thought, man, what are these guys doing? They're, they're drunk. I can't understand what they're saying. If you've been around drunk people, unfortunately I have a few times in my life, you, you know that that can be an awkward conversation to be had, one you may not even be able to fully understood. Peter quickly dismisses the drunken reference, though. Sometimes it's just best to, to move quickly past dumb accusations. You know, don't deal with them. Don't get into debate about it. Just move on. Peter wasn't there to debate. He was there to witness. Peter's two justifications are this. If we were drinking, I mean, if we were, if, if, if we were drinking, which we weren't, it would be too early to be drunk. And then he says, but this is what is really happening. And then he quotes Joel chapter two. It shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. Moses said, I wish that all would have the spirit of God poured out upon them. Joel 2 says, don't worry, that day is coming. And Peter says that day is now arrived and is beginning to take place in your witness. All people are having the spirit of God poured out upon them. Peter announces Joel prof Joel's prophecy is starting to come true. That is, what is that is what has happened to us, he says. The spirit filled us up. And then Peter does what is always done by someone who has received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I want you to hear this. It's almost to argue or debate with you about what happens when you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. A lot of people wanna focus on that phenomenon, but the outpouring of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is seen in what Peter does. And what does Peter immediately do? He immediately begins to point towards scripture. Anyone who's filled with the Holy Spirit will immediately begin to point towards scripture. He also immediately begins to point people towards Jesus. He wants to tell people about Jesus. The natural outpouring of the baptism of the Holy Spirit here with Peter is, is to tell people about Jesus, is to be a witness. One of the greatest evidences, folk, one of the greatest evidence of the true baptism of the Holy Spirit is not emotionalism, it's not hysteria, it's one's desire to witness for Jesus. Am I filled up with the Holy Spirit? Do you have a desire to witness for Jesus? Acts, Joel chapter two, verses 28 and 29, and Acts chapter two, verses 17 and 18 make this very plain. My spirit, the Bible says, will, will be poured out on all mankind, men and women, young and old, rich and poor, the slaves and the, and, and the free and the masters and everything. And the Bible says, and they'll prophesy. Unfortunately, I think sometimes that we get caught up with that word prophesy, and so we, we don't know quite how to take this Joel 2 text. We don't know quite how to take this Acts 2 text, because we're leery of people who claim to be prophets and are not. And so we read that word prophesy, and we think of it only in the terms of predicting the future or having some supernatural insight into someone else's life, and that makes us a little nervous. But the, the word for for, for, for prophecy here, propheteu from the Greek can mean more than just predicting the future. It also means to break forth in lofty discourse or praise of the divine. Do you ever wanna just say praise Jesus? Anyone ever wanna say that? Amen. Praise Jesus, to break forth in lofty praise or discourse, to begin to, to teach the scriptures excitedly. Have you ever been in a room where someone gets excited about teaching about Jesus and they start to get worked up? If you haven't, just come on a regular basis, because I get worked up. And I hope some of you will get worked up too, for Jesus. 
but to break forth in divine or lofty discourse in praise toward Jesus. It also can mean to, 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 by divine counsel to be under the prompting to teach or to refute or to reprove or to admonish or to comfort others. Basically, it's telling us it's this prophecy. To prophesy means to basically be a witness for Jesus. So the Joel 2 promise, the Acts 2 promise is for you as well. You don't have to be able to tell the future. You don't have to be able to have a special insight into somebody's life. If you have a desire to share this book and the one whom this book teaches us about, Jesus Christ, then you, you, can prophesy for Jesus as well. One of the evidences of the infilling of the Holy Spirit is the desire in our hearts to witness. We all need the Holy Spirit for this reason. This is a gift we should all expect. Not just desire, not just wish for, but that we should all expect. But we need the Holy Spirit for more reasons than just this. We need the Holy Spirit for more reasons than just this. He isn't just there so that we can witness that is a natural outflow of things, but there is more to this. There's a blessing. There's a reason why each of us personally need the Holy Spirit. There are many reasons, in fact, why each of us need the Holy Spirit. I could give you dozens and dozens and dozens of texts of truth of why, why we have a great need for the Holy Spirit, but I won't do that today. I'm just gonna give you five points of why each one of us, I believe, need the Holy Spirit. You may wanna write these down, and if you have a pen, you may wanna write the texts that are associated with them. Here are five reasons why each and every one of us need to be fully filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness, Romans chapter eight and verse 26. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. I don't know about all of you, but there are days when I am terribly weak, and I'm not talking about physical weakness, but there are days when I am emotionally weak. There are days when I'm spiritually weak. There are days when I'm just broken down and I struggle in my journey. And I need help in those days. I need, I need someone who understands that I'm weak and, and is there to, to help me in my weakness. The Bible says in Romans 8, 26 that the, that the Holy Spirit not only understands our weaknesses, but is there for us in those weaknesses. If you came in here today with some sort of weakness in your heart, some sort of struggle in your life, you are in desperate need of the Holy Spirit right now. The Holy Spirit wants to, wants to take care of you in that weakness, to be there for you in those weaknesses. We have a need for the Holy Spirit to help us in our weaknesses. Another area in which, another reason why we need the Holy Spirit is because the Holy Spirit teaches us about the deep things of God. He helps us to understand the scriptures. John chapter 14 verse 26 tells us this as well as 1 Corinthians chapter two verses six through 14. There's a, there's a need for us to understand the deep things of God. We need to know what, what is written in this book and what, are the, what is the meaning of the things in this book. I want you to listen to verse 10 in particular in 1 Corinthians chapter two. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. If you wanna understand the deep things of God, then we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, in my role as a pastor, one of the things that I hear on a regular basis is, Pastor, I just don't know what to study in the Bible. I, I, I just can't understand things. If we were filled to the capacity with the Holy Spirit, would our understanding be better? According to scripture, it would be. Because it's the Holy Spirit that teaches us the deep 
things of God. I love how you hear over and over and over again throughout history about people who, who had very little education or very little insight. Now, I'm all for education. I believe everyone, if they have opportunities, should get it. I love education. My dad's a professor, so I come from that background. But I love how, how even the simplest of minds can come up with the deepest truths of Scripture. Why? Because the ultimate teacher of Scripture is the Holy Spirit. And that's why we need the Holy Spirit. If, you, if you're one of those people that says, young people, if you're sometimes in that place where you say, man, I just don't feel like I can understand the scriptures, the thing that you need most is the Holy Spirit. Not another lecture, not another course, but the power of the Holy Spirit will be your greatest teacher. So we need the Holy Spirit to help us in our weaknesses. We need the Holy Spirit to help us, to teach us the deep truths of the scripture. And the third thing, the Holy Spirit we need the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit intercedes for us in our prayers. When we pray, he helps us in our prayers. Again, Romans 8, 26 tells us this. That the Holy Spirit takes our prayers. Sometimes we don't even know what to pray for or how to ask for. Sometimes it's just moanings and groanings, the Bible says. And, and the Holy Spirit takes those prayers and takes them up to, to our intercessor in heaven and intercedes on our behalf. He takes our prayers so that when, when we don't even know what to pray for, Sometimes the situation is so dark, we don't even know what to pray for. And the temptation in those moments sometimes is, well, I don't know what to pray for, so I'm just not gonna pray. I would tell you just pray because the Holy Spirit knows the depths of your heart that you don't even understand yourself. And he'll take those prayers up to heaven and God will begin to answer those prayers and work on your behalf because we have the Holy Spirit that intercedes for, for us on our behalf. The Holy Spirit, we need the Holy Spirit because he helps us in our weaknesses. We need the Holy Spirit because he helps us to understand the deep truths and treasures of God and from the word of God. We need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit because he intercedes for us when we pray and when we know not what to pray or how to pray. Then also we need the Holy Spirit because he convicts us of our sin. We need the Holy Spirit because he convicts us of our sin. There are times that I've done things, and I don't think they're wrong at all, to be honest with you. Anyone ever done something they didn't think was wrong, later to find out that it was wrong? Anyone else in that boat? So I've done some things sometimes, and I'll be driving down the road. I'll just be driving down the road, chilling out, not paying attention probably to my driving as well as I should, and, uh, and suddenly the Lord will convict me. You know, the way you talked to that person earlier today, or... Or, uh, you know, you became really defensive when that person corrected you on this thing, and, and that's, that's about your pride. That's, that's not about me. And I'll be convicted of something. You're not spending enough time with your kids. Well, Lord, I just spent, no, no, just listen to me. And the Holy Spirit convicts us of these things. The Holy Spirit convicts us of our sins. John chapter 15, verses 8 through 11 teaches us this. We need the Holy Spirit because we need to be convicted. Because in this world, it's so easy to be distracted. And it's so easy to reason and rationalize and to convince ourselves that, that what I think is the right way and what I think is the best way and what I think is, is okay. And you know what? Because we are human and because we are sinful, a lot of times our reason is not as trustworthy as we think it is. And so we need the Holy Spirit to convict us of our sin, to convict us where we're in error, convict us where we are wrong. But not only does the Holy Spirit convict us of sin, I love this about the Godhead. Even when we're rebuked, we are comforted and reminded 
Not only does the Holy Spirit convict us of sin, the Holy Spirit gives us power over those sins as well. Galatians chapter five and verse six. Write this down, it's a beautiful text. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand in here, but if there's any of you that struggle with desires of the flesh in any way, shape, or form, you need the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. You need to be filled up to the fullness with the power of the Holy Spirit. I think sometimes the reason why we still struggle so much with this problem is because we've got it all backwards. Some of us say, well, I have to stop struggling with the desires of the flesh, and then the Holy Spirit will come into my life. No, the Bible says, Walk with the Holy Spirit, and then you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. We have, to, we have to make sure we don't put the cart before the horse. It's the Holy Spirit in us first, and then he gives us victory over those desires of our flesh. He convicts us of our sin. We get the Holy Spirit in us. He convicts us of our sin, and then he gives us power to overcome the desires of our flesh. We need the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We need the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit helps us to understand the deep truths and the treasures that are in God's word, the deep things of God. We need the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit intercedes for us when we pray, when we don't even know what to pray for. We need the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin and shows us that, we're, that, that we are still sinners in a sinful world struggling with the devil. We need the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit shows us that even though we are still sinners in a sinful world struggling against the devil, we have one that is more powerful and more mighty than that sin and more powerful and more mighty than our temptation and that is Jesus Christ. And by walking with the Spirit, we no longer desire or gratify the lusts of the flesh, but we have victory in Jesus Christ, amen? We need the Holy Spirit for all of these reasons. Yes to witness, yes to witness. But each one of us need the Holy Spirit personally for us in our lives. How do we receive the fullness of this gift? Three things. Three ways we receive the fullness of this gift that I see. Acts chapter two, verse 38, if you wanna look there. Acts chapter two, verse 38. Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus. Some may say, I've already done those things. I've already repented. I've already been baptized. Well, I can speak only for me. I don't know each one of your lives personally. I don't know each one of you in the depths of your heart personally. I can speak for me. And I know in my own life that I have a need for deeper repentance, a deeper sorrow over sin a deeper sorrow for how my sin breaks the heart of my Savior. I need to have a deeper understanding of the true glory of God and the love of God and the magnificence of God. I need to have a deeper understanding that, that the things of this world are, are, of, are of no value when I look upon Jesus. So I need to repent. I need to turn away from those sins to look towards Jesus. Maybe some in here need to be baptized in the name of Jesus. Peter says, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus. There might be some of you that have been baptized, but you were baptized because, hey, that was the, the cool thing to do in the moment. First time I was baptized, I've been rebaptized. The first time I was baptized, that's what it was. I was 
Eighth grade, everyone got baptized. Okay, I guess that's what I do. And I got baptized. And I had deep conviction throughout my life of, of a need to, to you, you never even made a decision for Jesus. You never even had a relationship with Jesus. And I eventually got rebaptized down the road. But some of you may need to be baptized in the name of Jesus. You got baptized because your parents said to. You got baptized because it was a thing to do to join the church, to become a member of the church. But you know in your heart that you have not had a relationship with Jesus. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Some of you may have been putting off baptism, saying, well, it's not that important. I'll just put it aside. I'll do it another time. You need to make that decision to to stand for Jesus, to make a stand for Jesus, a public stand for Jesus. If that's you today, I hope you'll make that decision. These are two things we must do. Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And then look at this promise. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Again, another promise. It's not a maybe, I'll think about it. You shall receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. But I said there were three things. These are two and I wanna give you the third and then I'll sit down. There's a third item I see that, that needs to take place in order for, for, the, for the Holy Spirit to be poured out in full. And I believe this is confirmed in scripture and also in the writings of, of Mrs. White. Turn back to Acts chapter one. Acts chapter one beginning in verse 12. Acts chapter one beginning in verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath, day, a Sabbath day's journey. In the last message I gave you, if you were here, you remember, this is just taking place just after the disciples have, have watched Jesus go back up into heaven. They've watched Jesus go up into heaven and they're standing there gazing and the angels come to them and they say, why are you looking up into heaven? He's gonna come back the same way that he left. Now get to Jerusalem, you have a mission to do. And so they head out to Jerusalem and now they're back in Jerusalem, verse 13. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Folk, the disciples, and, and Jesus' brothers, and several women, including Jesus' own mom, they left watching Jesus go back, to, back up into the air, and they went back to Jerusalem, and the very first thing that they did was they had a prayer meeting. They had a prayer meeting. They began to pray. Luke then tells us the story of Matthias almost as a, as a prophetic interlude to, to affirm prophecy, the confirmation of prophecy, and then chapter two. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. I believe the third element involved in this outpouring of the Holy Spirit is a deeper commitment to prayer. A deeper commitment to prayer. Repentance, to turn away from our sins, to recognize the great depravity of sin. Baptism in the name of Jesus and deep prayer. Let me read you all a statement by an individual that Smithsonian Magazine, some of you might have seen this, Smithsonian Magazine recently referred to as one of the most, one of the hundred most, one of the hundred most influential individuals in the history of the United States. Also very influential in my life, Ellen White. 
It was by confession, she says, and forsaking of sin, by earnest prayer and consecration of themselves to God that the early disciples prepared for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. The same work, she says, only in greater degree must be done now. Must be done now. And one more, we should pray, she says, we should pray as earnestly for the descent of the Holy Spirit as the disciples prayed on the day of Pentecost. If they needed it at that time, we need it, she says, more today. And if she wrote this in the early 1900s and said she needed it more that day than, she, than they did in the Pentecost, then how much more do we need it in 2014? Amen. How much more do we need to be calling out and calling out to God and, and, and for the descent of the Holy Spirit. I believe that prayer changes things. I wanna tell you a quick story for all of us, but I'd love for our, our high school young people that are here and, and in the congregation to, to hear this story specifically. The greatest revival that I've had the privilege of seeing in my life up close and personal started with six academy students who began to pray. They made a commitment to pray every day for their school. Six academy students. They made a commitment to pray every single day for their school. Within three months of that group of six, uh, that, that group of six praying for their school, that group grew into 35 young people praying and studying the Bible together every Saturday night. Now imagine that, if, if you're a parent of a teenager right now, or you're a teacher of teenagers, or you're on the cusp of having teenagers and it's freaking you out, or me, you're years away from having teenagers, but it still scares you to death because you're worried that they're gonna end up like you did as a teenager, and you're worried about that. Anyone testify with that, amen? I just pray every day, Jesus, let my kids be like my wife. She is such a saint. She's been a saint her entire life. God, she never gave her parents a gray hair. Thank you, Lord, so much. And I just pray that. And I pray that with all sincerity all the time. In fact, when I had boys, I actually cried. My first boy, when we had my first boy, I actually cried because I was so scared that, that my son would, would, would do some of the things that I did in my life. And you'll hear more about those on another occasion. And I literally cried when I heard we were having a boy because I wanted a girl because I thought, well, if it's a girl, it has a better chance of being like their mom. And, and when I heard it was a boy, I began to cry. I wanted a girl, Lord. I don't know if I can handle a boy. And then I was talking to my best friend, Scott, and I said, Scott, I just, man, I just don't. He said, Chad, but what if you had a girl and she was like you? <laughs> and I said, that'd be worse, wouldn't it? He said, absolutely. <laughs> so praise Jesus for three boys, and may they all be like their mom still. But those three boys, so we pray for, if you're, if you're one of these people, but listen to this, I mean, imagine that. Imagine if you were, Parents, teachers, think about it. If your kids are like, hey, we're gonna go out Saturday night, where are you gonna go? We're going to pray and study the Bible. I mean, would that not thrill your hearts? Would that not thrill your soul? So these, these six kids began to pray and, and a group of 35 students began to join them, praying and studying the Bible every Saturday night. And th uh, three months after that, within about six months, 60 to 70 young people we're meeting to pray and study the Bible together for three and four hour stretches at a time. Just pouring out their hearts to God, praying and studying the word of God. Adults from the local church were dropping in on the Bible study to, to find out what was going on. What's taking place? Are our kids really actually going to Bible study on Saturday night? I mean, the sun would go down. Folks, we weren't starting at, at, at four in the afternoon. The sun would go down, and we would start studying and praying. 
and go till 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, midnight, and then go eat Denny's till two in the morning. But it's neither here nor there. We weren't quite up to date on the health message yet. Here's the sad thing, here's the sad thing. Sad and yet powerful at the same time. The adults, some of the adults started to get freaked out and they actually tried to convince the young people that they were studying and praying too much. They said, you're being fanatical. You need to have balance in your life. Sad but true. Powerful because the young people were so on fire for God that it was scaring the adults. You know, I mean, you guys, some of you are think about ways in which you can upset your parents. Hey, maybe studying and praying a lot will do it. Just give it a try. That's all I'm saying. A little reverse psychology there for them. Within nine months of this group of six academy kids committing to pray together every day, our school was hosting on our campus and on other campuses, at other schools, prayer conferences. At Shenandoah Valley, we went to an Andrews Academy, an Indiana Academy, and Dakota Academy, and Fletcher Academy, and many others. Where only three things were happening. In prayer conferences, where only three things were happening. Not, not like some of the prayer conferences that are taking place these days. But, but at these prayer conferences, only three things were happening. Bible study in two to three hour blocks at a time. Prayer sessions of hundreds of kids that would last two hours or more well into the night. And witnessing. That was it. Going out and witnessing. Sharing information with people about the love of Jesus. No games. No nothing. Just more and more and more of Jesus. Six high school folk who made a commitment to pray every single day for their school. And the Holy Spirit descended and a revival broke out. I believe young people and adults, we could take a lesson from this story. I want you to pull out your connection cards at this time if you have a connection card with you. If you don't have a connection card with you, will you please just raise your hand wherever you are at and our deacons will get one to you if you don't have one of these. Deacons, if you'll stand up. Here's our deacons right here. Raise your hand if you don't have one of these. You might have come in with a spouse and only one of them got it because it's only in one bulletin. If any of our young people need them as well, maybe we could pass them out up here as well. If you want to, one of my deacons want to come up here and just dis distribute them because I'm sure they didn't get them. Just distribute them to, the, to our young people up there. Connection card, and they're on the back of it responding to the sermon and I'm interested in. The first one, I just want to start with a box on the right. I'm interested in this aspect, beginning a relationship with Jesus. If you are in this place today and you do not have a relationship with Jesus, maybe you have all the knowledge of Jesus, maybe you have no knowledge of Jesus, maybe you have all the experience of, of, of being a part of a community of faith, but you have no relationship with Jesus. If you need to begin a relationship with Jesus, I want you to check that box. If you need information on baptism, if you've never been baptized, some of our young people may have never been baptized. Some of our old people may never have been baptized. If you need information on baptism, I want you to check that box as well. Information on church membership, serving on team at Spencerville, or receiving Bible studies, you can check those as well. But responding to the sermon today, my next step today, we already talked about the appeal to give. You can skip down beyond that. Responding to the sermon today. I recognize that God wants to give me the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you recognize that, you can just check that box. Easy, right? Everyone should be able to say yes, I recognize that, hopefully. The second one, I desire the gift of the Holy Spirit. I hope each one of you desires the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you're struggling, if you feel weak in your life, 
You need the Holy Spirit. If you, if you don't know what to pray or how to pray, you need the Holy Spirit. If you, if you struggle with understanding the truths of Scripture, the, the, thank you, Jay. If you understand the truths of Scripture, then, then you need the Holy Spirit. If you, if you recognize that, that you're struggling with sin, you need to be convicted of sin, then you need the Holy Spirit. If you want to overcome sin, you need the power of the Holy Spirit. So I hope each one of us can check that box. I desire the gift of the Holy Spirit. The next one, I commit to praying for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Individually, we all need to begin praying for the outpouring and the power of the Holy Spirit. What did, what did Mrs. White say? If, if they needed it then, how much more do we need it now? How much more do we need it now? I commit to praying for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Individually, each one of us should do that. And then the last one, I will join my church family January 7 through 17 in corporately praying for the Holy Spirit. I will join my church family January 7 through 17 in corporately praying for the Holy Spirit. I believe that yes, individual prayer is very important. There's nothing that can replace individual prayer. But I also believe that corporate prayer, people coming together to pray together, is just as important and is just as powerful. There's significant things happen when God's people get together and begin to call on his name together and in unity, in one accord, as the Bible says. And so I want to, I want to challenge you to, to be a part of that. January 7 through 17, to come here. Every night there's going to be an opportunity for you to come here and to pray together. Juliana, our, our, our prayer leader, will uh, be leading out in... in um, those activities and her prayer team, I'll be here as well, but January 7th through the 17th, they will corporately come together in prayer. I know that in this church, there hasn't been historically a prayer meeting. I just wanna let you know up front, I plan to hopefully see that changed, and this will be the beginning of it. Not a prayer meeting just for prayer meeting's sake, but a prayer meeting where we come together to pray for the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, that, that Jesus will do great things in our midst. If you can check those boxes, I wanna encourage you to do so. It's so easy, folks, to hear a sermon, to say that was nice, and to walk out the door and think nothing of it. There is something to the, 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 the kinesthetic act of checking something, of writing something, of turning something in, that, that helps us in, our, in that commitment, bringing it to our attention. So I wanna encourage you all in that journey. Let us pray now. Jesus, I thank you so much for the commitments that are made here today. Maybe there's someone in here, Lord, that doesn't have a relationship with you. And today was the first day, Jesus, that they said, man, I'm weak. I don't understand the word. I struggle with sin. And so they made that commitment to begin a relationship with you, Jesus, today. I thank you for those people. Maybe there's some in here that have not taken that step of faith in baptism and they need to take that step of faith that public declaration in the name of Jesus of their commitment to you, Jesus, and you alone. I thank you for those decisions that were made. But Lord, so many of us that have gone through church, we've done the church thing so many times. Lord, but just doing the church thing is not enough. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. And so Lord, I pray that you will fill each one of us in this moment and in each day as we move forward. May this be a church full of Pentecostals because we've had a Pentecostal experience ready to witness, ready to teach the word, ready to rejoice and point people towards Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.